Hello, let's go for a ride. So today on the Ninth Story Podcast, we have the prolific Jessica McHugh. Hello. Well, good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited about it. Me too. We've been chatting back and forth and trying to get this to happen for a little while, but I guess things happen when they're supposed to, so. Absolutely. You have a new book out this year. Yes, I do. So you just Uh, don't stop, huh? Not really. (laughs) Um, Especially, I mean, this year has been already insane. So uh, I don't even know. I felt like last year was insane. And this year has just really cranked it up to 11. It's it's rough, but it's wonderful. I mean, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Absolutely. You're living the dream that a lot of us have, which is to be a full-time writer. A better dream would be able to afford beer a lot more often, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty... It's a trade-off, right? <laughs> and, like, food. <laughs> food helps, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> but uh, pretty close to the dream. <laughs> I left my full-time science job in the beginning of April, so hasn't been quite a year yet, but it's crazy. I'll just wake up some days and I'm like, remember when I did science? <laughs> <laughs> science. That's <was> weird. <laughs> Guess it's probably something that you've always wanted to do then? Absolutely. I mean, I have... On one of my walls in my writing hut, I have one of those little essays they made you write when you were a kid. And I was in fourth grade and said I wanted to grow up and be a writer. So That's awesome. That's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is when you first knew that you wanted to do this for a living. Well, I think I always loved making up stories and I definitely had an overactive imagination. Did a lot of pretending to be animals and stuff when I was a kid and I'd make up crazy scenarios that probably made my parents a little nervous Um, (laughs) and then fourth grade my teacher Mrs. Burkhouse she just really must have nurtured that need and and channeled it into writing because I have so many stories from that year just in entire journals filled with so many terrible short stories but (laughs) they're like mysteries and crime novel like uh, yeah I I wrote a novel and it's like four pages that's awesome (laughs) and horror stories one of them is on the back it's like great creativity but too gory (laughs) (laughs) that's never true it's never too gory. In fourth 
grade. Well, yeah, it depends on your audience, I guess, right? Right. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, and, you know, that's one of the things that I actually used to do, too. Whenever I was in high school, I had a teacher that kind of nurtured that in me. And I wrote three parts of novels, but never actually finished them. It's like soon oh, yeah. to be part of a best-selling novel. When I was a kid, I started writing the book version of The King and I, not knowing The King and I was based on the book Anna and the King of Siren. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that movie musical so much. I was like, I'm going to write the book. And it really was just line for line verbatim everything from the movies whenever you first start to write you copy those who you admire so i guess I that's guess like so. yeah that's like the, te the technical transcription version of copying what you love well, right? i know when i was a kid um i would copy the textbook to learn it instead of just reading it I would, right. I would write down whole sections from the textbook i'd have no idea why one of the things i remember reading was the more senses you can involve in learning something the, the better you, I guess, internalize it. And, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you write it and read it and say it at the same time, mm -hmm. they say that it just locks that in there. So it worked for yeah. some things. <laughs> it's funny how we get connected to things through what we read. Yeah. When you're reading something, it's so immersive and yeah, it, absolutely. it takes over everything. But I think that that's the, the neat thing about it is that it, it makes those connections for us. I mean, as mm -hmm. much as smells, they say, bring back memories very quickly. I think that a good story can as well. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I remember the first time I read Mary Higgins Clark um, Loves Music, Loves to Dance, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite books ever, was when that woman had driven her kids and she said her uh, car was carjacked. Oh, and yeah. she actually, they found out that she had driven her kids into the lake or something. Yeah. Every time I, I read that book, I, I remember that going on in the news. It was like playing on the radio or something. So the way we met was uh, I did an interview with Nelson Piles recently, and mm -hmm. you had some nice things to say about the interview. Hopefully we do as nice a job for you as we did for him. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to ask how you, how you guys know each other. How did you meet Nelson? We met through Postmortem Press. I was published by them, and I'm pretty sure, that I'm fairly certain that's how we met, was just both being postmortem press authors, and because uh, he had a couple of short stories published by them, um, a really great one called Box of Candy that I really, really love. Yeah, we just started talking, and um, I, I loved the, he told me about the Wicked Library, and asked if I would want to submit anything, so... You know, that's how we kind of got to know each other. And of course, we got to meet in person at the Postmortem Press Retreat, which was is always fun. I always get nervous when people meet me in person because I have such a personality online. Like, I'm so wacky and loud. And, <laughs> and then in person, you're kind of shy and quiet? Well, kind. It depends if beer is involved. Well, there you go. That The social <laughs> lubricant does help with that. Yeah, my loudmouth soup. Um, I, I am... <laughs> I feel like I am shy by nature, but when I get nervous, I, I get very loud. So I think it's... Uh, it's like overcompensating, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why, I mean, sometimes when people meet me, it's like, oh my God, shut this girl up. <laughs> or I'll oh, I'm tell sure that's not the case. <laughs> I'll tell people completely personal things that I should not be telling anybody. <laughs> well, that's And they'll just be like, who is this person? It just walked up to me and started telling me intimate details of her life. <laughs> That's part of being a good writer, though, I think. See, I think I've gotten worse as at the telling people things because I am so trying to be so honest and open when I'm writing. Right. When I'm immersed in a character, I am that character and very just open and honest. When I was writing The Green Kangaroos, 
I was talking in my character saying Jesus balls all the time. <laughs> I still say it now, but I, I would I would just just curse words and stuff to random people would get in my head and Sometimes I couldn't shake that character, nor did I want to, because I like playing him. <laughs> it's like the South Park episode where Cartman forces himself to have Tourette's and then actually oh, yeah, develops exactly. it. Kierma, <laughs> <laughs> who was it that was a Craig that was like, I wish I could say that. Oh, yeah. I would be I so happy. To the principal, I would be so happy. <laughs> That's right. You have a favorite character on South Park, right? Yeah, Butters. I used to do Butters like, uh, I don't know. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) My parents are going to be really mad. I used to do that. Well, it's funny. Um, I haven't recorded it yet, but I I totally know that entire La Resistance from the movie. And I do all the voices. And uh, I know someone online wanted me to record it one day, but I hadn't, haven't gotten up the uh, <laughs> the courage to do it yet. That's awesome. So those guys are great writers, too. The way that they can just quickly take something that's very topical in the news and go in a direction with it that you're not expecting and then oh, bring it back around at the end. And you're like, OK, I see what you were doing the whole time here. Yeah, I definitely like, you know, in high school watching Cannibal the Musical and stuff like that, <laughs> I kind of grew up on. Trey Parker and Matt Stone and Kevin Smith and Tarantino. You know, I was obsessed with those kind of out there writers. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, so I see the progression of who our inspirations were because I'm from the same generation as, you know, like Kevin Smith and those guys. And then I see that how that influences the younger generation. And it's just, it's neat to me to see how that way of thinking kind of gets passed down and how it changes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, when I was in high school, I, I very much wanted to be like direct movies, even, even I had no idea what it entailed to do that, but the thought of being a writer director seemed so appealing to me. Yeah. So I, I really don't think I could have directed a movie ever. Um, <laughs> but I think that when I write, I see things very visually. Yes. So I think that's that's why I kind of had that idea in mind. And that's what made it kind of cool Like when I had my first play produced because it was the first time I had imagined something in my head and then got to see it. That is cool. Know, I never got tired of it. I went to every single performance. <laughs> <laughs> so who are some of your favorite writers? Uh, my favorite writer, hands down, is Raul Dahl. Love Raul Dahl. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I grew up on the kids' books, obviously, and his autobiographies are amazing as well. But I really, around 18, 19, I, I got a hold of his short story anthologies, which are so nice and twisted and macabre and <laughs> just so, you know, sweet, sickly sweet sometimes. Uh, you know, they're just really, really inspired me. And that's when I was working at a perfume kiosk in a mall and I was reading a lot of Roald Dahl short stories and Lovecraft. Lovecraft's good too, yeah. And I that's really when I started taking up writing again and writing short stories and um unfortunately i was also reading tolkien at the time so that's when my fantasy novel started and (laughs) my fantasy (laughs) series so i mean i I still have all stories from back then they're horribly derivative um they're really not all that creative but they were a good jumping off point i mean when i read them now i cringe but If I hadn't written those, I wouldn't have written the next better thing and the next better thing, the next better thing. So, Right. It's all about the, the practice of 
reading and absorbing and then putting it out there and eventually in that storm somewhere you find your own voice and absolutely that's the cool part mm-hmm. now there are some that have been published that i'm like oh that shouldn't have been published <laughs> I think I think every author feels that way. I mean, you yes. know, I've always been interested by this because a lot of authors say this. I hate that story, but it yeah. seems to be the ones that people reading it like the best. Stephen King talks about the S books, Salem's Lot and The Shining and so on, that a lot of people think are his best books. And he personally feels that they're not his best work. I don't think that's true of the ones that I don't like. I think they, they're just kind of shitty. <laughs> Well, there is that possibility, too. Um, you know, there are, like, my, I, I like my fantasy series, but it's, uh, the first book was written, I could never take 19-year-old Jessica out of it, no matter how many times I edit it. Yeah. It was, um, it, it just makes me sad to, to look back, and I just wish I could do it so much better. Yeah. But given the chance, I'm not sure I could. Have to completely rewrite it, I guess you're saying. I did. I rewrote it like three times. Oh, really? Yeah, and I got I I rewrote the second book, the third book, and I still haven't. I wrote the fourth book and went through two rewrites, and I'm still not good with it. And I'm, it's on the back burner for now, <laughs> but it's not out there. But no one is reading those books anyway. So, <laughs> well, there's a lot of people reading what you do have out there, though, right? Yeah. I, oh, I hope so. I picked up Rabbits in the Garden, which I thought was a, a great book. You can't spoil it for me because I'm still two chapters away from the very end. <laughs> but I thought it was really a great book. And I thought that the way you, you started out with a situation where you have the young girl that's going back and kind of looking for something. Now we're going to take a trip down memory lane. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it seems at the beginning, like a lot of my favorite speculative fiction, that it's just kind of a normal story. And then it very quickly has that twist where it changes and you're like okay now i'm on for this long interesting twisted ride mm -hmm. um and by twisted obviously i mean that as a compliment it's it's uh, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> i think that the darkness is very interesting in a couple of your other stories that i've heard as well uh, from wicked library and Nelson did um some some rebroadcasts over mm -hmm. the holidays and uh, i really liked is it just silt was that the name of the title uh in, uh, in the silt in the silt yes I thought that was a great story, too. Thank you. That's It's one of my favorites. I like that one a lot. That was one of those ones I wrote completely, didn't even stop, wrote it in like a couple of hours mm -hmm. and then just put it aside. And I typed it up a couple of days later. And in typing it, I was also reading it. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is this story? This is messed up. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun whenever your characters do stuff you don't expect them to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I do like writing a uh, first person ju just for that kind of thrill of, oh, my gosh, what is tumbling out of my mind? Right. What is wrong with me or what is so right with me? Yeah. And that's the tricky thing, too, because, I mean, I think a lot of folks that don't understand what an author does when they read the first person, they're like, mm -hmm. this person's got some problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not me. It's the character. And uh, I mean, that, that's why I kind of like writing first person male, because there's no way <laughs> that the reader is going to, in Green Kangaroos, talking about shooting drugs in their balls. They're not like, oh, yeah, Jessica, that time she shot drugs in her balls. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> I remember that. Good day. That's terrific. So I'm not going to insult you by doing the thing that I hate when people interview writers, which is where do you get your ideas? Because, oh, thank God. you know, that's just to me, it's crazy. It's. <laughs> 
I think that out of anything, that has to be the thing that annoys writers the most is when people ask it's, where you get your ideas pretty, from. Because I'm always like, where do you get your ideas Exa from? I steal them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what I did, Mitch? I stole that idea here. Gary Busey's got an idea for... Uh, Gary, oh, I had an idea. I don't know. remember what it was now, but uh, I had something there going on. Thanks, Mitch. You come up with ideas of what you're going to have for dinner. Exactly. Where the fuck did you get it from? Your brain. That's right. Taste good with this, this, and this, and put it together. And then I'll have this on the side. It's really, it's just building blocks in your brain. You put it together and right. something happens. I've never really been able to outline. I just basically mm -hmm. sit down and write stream of consciousness and then I go back and change mm -hmm. things as they need to be and that's why I think it's the crazy question of where do your ideas come from because I don't even know I'm writing and there they are but yeah um, absolutely do you outline do you have any particular routines that you use to keep yourself in the story or focused or know where you're going it varies with the story like sometimes I you know I'll do that where I'll just start writing and then I'll write until I can't write anymore and then I'm like okay where am I going from here right and I'll stop and I'll maybe outline the next couple of things um it also depends how much time I have for something like NaNoWriMo I mean mm -hmm. I had to outline that whole entire thing I knew it was going to be a long novel to get it done in a month I absolutely had to know exactly where I was going every step of the way I planned out uh 17 chapters wow. very detailed 17 chapters so I knew exactly where I was going and also because that one is uh, not uh, chronological I knew I was going to be writing all out of order I really had to know my shit about this story yeah what did you do for NaNoWriMo I wrote an erotic thriller called The Train Derails in Boston wow and I, I ended up hitting 50,000 on my birthday on November 15th awesome so I was like one on my birthday but I had to finish the novel, which ended up being 74K about. Wow. So it was, um, it's, there was a point, it was the first time I'd written an erotic thriller ever. Mm -hmm. First time writing that much erotica. There really came a point when I was so tired of making penises go in vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why the train derailed in Boston? No. It didn't make it through the tunnel. You're just like, I've had enough. The train is not going through the tunnel. It's like there's cannibalism. There's banging ghosts and mirror worlds. And the main character is just a horrible, horrible drunk woman. She's 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 probably the most awful character I've written. I love her. Um, but I was really, I went up to my husband. and I'm like, I can't figure out any more ways to make people have sex. And he's like, did you do the butt? And I'm like, I did the butt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what we need to do here, Mitch? I got some ideas. We can. Uh... <laughs> but I was just like, I was tired. I was very, I, I, I remember posting on Facebook and being like, I just finished a chapter and I don't have to write another sex scene for three more chapters. <laughs> Thank fuck. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, you just have one chapter called I have a headache and it's yeah, just like. <laughs> I did. I did have a headache. And it was, um, but it, it was a fun book. But I, since I wrote it all, hand, it's all handwritten. I haven't typed it up yet. So. Oh, so this isn't one that's out there yet. No, no, no. I probably won't even get to typing it up or editing it till this fall, unfortunately. Okay. Well, you know, we're all disappointed. We want to hear about the train going yeah. through the tunnel. 
I know I posted a lot of uh, interesting uh, snippets as I was writing them. Oh, really? On Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty gross. It's a pretty gross book, but... Hey, you know, that's sometimes what you need, right? Get yeah, I there. figured I needed, you know, Green Kangaroos was my last nano book, and that's coming out later this year from uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, and that book's really gross, too, so I figured I'd keep it uh, <laughs> a rhythm going. Just stick to a theme, right? Right. Make it just worse and worse every time. <laughs> harder and harder to read. And that's another thing that's kind of funny. I have a um, little writing group that we get together with uh, every other week, and we read each other's stuff to each other and offer critique and, and that sort of thing. Um, and lately I've had this, lately being, I don't know, I guess the last couple of years, I've had this thing where things are just a little darker than usual. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends brought his, his wife along to the meeting who doesn't write. She's there as a reader and basically nice. something to do and hang out with him. And uh, she's like, why is your stuff so dark? <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine said, well, you know, he wrote a children's story. He's, he's got a children's story that he wrote that's really nice. And she's yeah, that's why people kill each other in schools. They read his stuff. No, no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's that's my job as the writer is to just to raise your kids for you and tell your kids what they can and can't read. But no, the, the, it's written for a different audience. So the kids <laughs> stuff is a little bit different than, you know, the darker stuff that I write. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, a lot of, um, I mean, I've, I've written rabbits, I mean, rabbits in the garden, Dan Marble in the application for non-scary things. I wrote them as horror for mm-hmm. adults, basically, and then was told later on, nope, these are YA. So, really? like, oh, okay, I guess. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and that's the question that, that I was asked, too, is why, why do you like writing such dark things? Like, I don't know. I think it's more compelling. I think you learn more. Exactly. It's stuff that you're not going to go out and do. You're not going to go out and kill a person in real life, so why not split someone's fictional head open like a melon? Exactly. And describe all the squishy, wonderful innards that pour out. Yeah, maybe hang them on a hook in your basement, something like that. Some people like taking a gun into the woods and shooting a deer. Yeah, exactly. I I like just writing that scene. Be careful, because I'll write you into a story and kill you. Yeah, that's happened. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll very rarely use someone's name, but I'll in my mind, I'm like, that's, you know, exactly that represents. <laughs> that's who that person is. That's yep. what you get. I had a I had a teacher that failed me in high school and I used a variation on his name and <laughs> I hold grudge man. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> uh, Don't wrong me. That's right. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, Mr. McGee. <laughs> So in Rabbits in the Garden, you have a very manipulative mother. I'd say she's almost on the level of like Palpatine manipulative. <laughs> and you have yeah. uh, two girls. Both of them get sent away, which I think says something about the mother as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you have a really neat dynamic between the, the two siblings, I think. And, and I, I'm curious, do, are, do you have a sister? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two older brothers. So, okay. I mean, yeah, I really did to create that relationship because the relationship I had with my brothers and you know my family growing up really wasn't all that close Mm -hmm. so I kind of wanted to start out the story that way with them having this physical divide and also kind of an emotional divide since Mm -hmm. they've been separated for a while but then as I wrote it through I wanted to give them a relationship that I had wanted to have right my siblings you know, someone to say, you know, I believe in you and you know, I love you and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So 
that's what I find really interesting about writing a relationship that you don't personally have. You do get to live your your dreams in that way. So I really enjoyed writing that relationship, especially as, as they get a little closer, although there are lots of things trying to keep them apart. Oh, yeah. Just a few. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, too, because that is one of the things that you're referring to is the relationship they both want. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that's actually something I've heard is, is quite common with, with sisters that are close in age, that a lot of times they fall for the same boy and there's that competition. And mm-hmm. you're going through that, that age right there and it becomes um, a difficult situation sometimes. Mm-hmm. I definitely have a little bit of a writer obsession with family dynamic. I think if you read a, a lot of my novels, it's, it's pretty present. Yeah. Um, in a lot of them, there's brother relationship in the sky of the world and also a really bad father relationship between them. I, I just I just love exploring those different family dynamics and I also I do a lot of kind of God versus man kind of stuff because I feel like that's a family dynamic in itself. A lot of people with their religion feel like God is kind, is their father. Right. So I mean I that's a lot of times you'll see uh, that kind of relationship explored in, uh, I mean, it's in the sky of the world and obviously my fantasy series deals yeah. with it a lot. <laughs> so how many books do you have out there? I'm curious. I have 14 out. Wow. Um, one of them is a self-published collection of silly things, but okay. um, so 13 novels slash novellas. The I just one that's... finished my 21st. Wow. <laughs> A couple days ago, so that was... I, I didn't even realize how many I actually listed out all the novels I'd published and all the novels I'd written um, mm-hmm. in novellas, and I was like, holy crap, I owe myself a beer. That's right. <laughs> if, if, if nothing else, absolutely. <laughs> now, the, um, the the books that you have out published, you said one of them you did self-published. Was that one of your first ones, or was that in the middle, or recently? No, that or? Was, uh, it was last year. It's really just a collection of... Um, uh, Facebook posts. I, I do things called deep thoughtsies mm-hmm. and people really liked them. So I just decided to put them together in a book. And then um, I had my fans illustrate them. There are also some writing prompts in there as well. Some very silly writing prompts. Wow. But <laughs> That's neat. And that one is called Virtuoso at Masturbation and More McHumorous Musings. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and and where can we find that? Is that on Amazon? Yep, it's just on Kindle. So okay, it's not very, it's not a very long book, but um, with the writing prompts and everything, I hope that it inspires some people to write silly stories. That's neat. So, how do you feel about the Kindle? That's one of the other questions I always like to ask writers: how they feel about the change in format from the physical book. And I think we all still have that attachment to the yeah. to the tactile physical book. There's there's something about it that's completely different. Um, personally, I'm a big embracer of the Kindle because I find it's easier to carry that around than carry 15 books around with me. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, it, it makes it a lot easier for me to read. I can read a lot more with the Kindle than I could if I'm carrying around a book. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, I mean, at night, you don't have to have the book like pressed open with your fingers and then like the little book light on top and like trying not to make noise while your spouse is sleeping, while you're flipping pages. I mean, it's just there. It's lit up. It's it's easy. I love it. I I have the Kindle Fire. I I love it. Although I do play a lot of Angry Birds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you use your do you use the fire for reading too or do you uh, yeah I, I do use it I use it for reading 
I haven't been reading as much lately. But yeah, I, I do use it for reading. I put documents on it when I do uh, poetry readings. Okay. It's easier than just going up there with a bunch of poems. Yeah. And just put them on there. I mean, there are some other things that are neat about the Kindle, too, that I think a lot of people don't realize, which is if you have a word that's in there that you're not familiar with, you can oh, look yeah. it up right away. That uh, is great. Yeah. That is so, And so many people don't even know you can do that. Yeah. I, yeah that's, it's, that's one of my favorite great. features. <laughs> it's great. I, I use it a lot for Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just easy to, like, prop it up on your yeah. nightstand and just watch Netflix. But... I definitely prefer when we got our Kindle Fire. I blew through so many books in a row. Really, I think the first thing I read on it was the Hunger Game Hunger Games trilogy, mm-hmm. and just tore through it. I have one of the the older Kindles, um, which is you know has the feel, or not the feel, but the look of paper. And I find as I get older, my eyes don't tolerate the bright screens so much anymore. So it's it's nice to have something that's more paper like. But I do like the fact that if I'm caught someplace else and I don't have my Kindle with me, I can open the application on my phone or my oh, yeah. tablet or whatever. Yeah, it's great. I, I love I actually, I personally turn, when I'm reading a book, I turn the, the background black and have the words in white. Oh, okay. I, I don't know why. It just doesn't bother my eyes as much or, you know, helps me fall asleep. Although I, I have smacked myself in the face, <laughs> the Kindle, when I've been, you know, uh, uh, you fall asleep and it just falls on your face. <laughs> now, you did a um, you did an audiobook version as well of uh, mm-hmm. Rabbits in the Garden. And, uh, of course, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the WhisperSync thing that, mm-hmm. that they do now where the, the book and the Kindle actually kind of tie together so you can read the Kindle. And then where you leave off, if you're going out someplace and you're driving to work or whatever, um, you can pick up on your, your audio book right so where rad. you left off. It's neat. The future, right? Exactly. It's something, <laughs> I mean, I, years ago I said, you know what, if I bought the book, I should be able to get the audio book for a discount. And now they finally have done it and they've linked them together where listen to one, read the other and go back and forth between the two, which I like, again, I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Man, it's so funny. I um, years ago I started writing this book called Selections from the End of the World, and it's you know all out of order, and basically it's all just you know news clippings and and stuff like that that talk about how the the world was. And I had invented all these crazy futuristic technology things, mm-hmm. and I'm never gonna finish the book because like six out of the ten things I invented have already been invented wow. in the past 10 years. Google Glass, I had invented something called um, the ocular projection screen. Uh-huh. And it was like a contact lens and it's totally Google Glass. That's cool. Well, you're in, good, like, you're oh. in good company though. I mean, that's, um, who was it? Um, oh, the name just left my brain. Um, H.G. Wells. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that, that he wrote eventually oh, yeah, came sure. to fruition. Mm-hmm. Joel yeah, Burns I, had some I, stuff I that about- was you know, finishing it. I'm like, you just have to think ahead even farther. I'm like, no, I'm too <laughs> It's too much work. <laughs> it's way too much work. <laughs> For, you know, a story that really, I mean, I hadn't written much of it anyway. It was supposed to be a novel. It could probably maybe pass as a novella, but. Yeah. Maybe when I don't have 8,000 things to do. <laughs> so maybe how- when I, in my old age. In your old day, in your daughtering years, it'd be yeah. something to pick up whenever they're like, "Yeah, all this stuff already happened." <laughs> well, I finally ran out of new ideas. <laughs> Time to go back to that old novel I started. 
you know, I, the one I wrote when I was 10 sounds really good now. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick up on the on the novel that was four pages long. There you go. And I started in like fourth grade about, oh man, it's funny. It's about a girl whose like friend dies of AIDS. <laughs> and they're like in fifth grade. That's hilarious. And I'm like, what? You're a comic genius. How did she get AIDS? How did that happen? Blood transfusion, <laughs> I guess. Well, Hope so. <laughs> Cartman, you gave me AIDS? No, hamburgers. <laughs> so how involved in your in your audiobook edition were you? That's one of the things I was curious of because I know when you're writing, obviously you're you're very involved. You're working with your editor, probably redoing passages and rewriting as needed. Once it's all done though, the text is set, how involved uh, are you in the audio portion of that? I mean, I think I'm pretty sure he gave me, he was like, she's going to get the script and read it. So if there's anything that you want to change, change it now. Basically, I think he, he just wanted me to proofread. But basically, I, I really wasn't involved. They recorded it or the, the woman uh, recorded it. Her name is escaping me off the top of my head, but she makes an excellent Norton. You're talking about Kristen Allison. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I just, I was so excited to hear Faye Norton. So, 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 so excited. And man, she, she really personified that character. Yeah, she does a great job. Then I was given the files. I was told to check it against the, the text. And really, I didn't even, I was so immersed in it. I think I listened to it, you know, twice back to back and it like... I don't remember how long, like six hours long or something. Yeah. It was, I, I loved it so much. So I really wasn't all that involved. I prefer once I'm done with something and someone's like, okay, I'm going to do this with it. I'm like, go ahead. Yeah. And like, I don't want to, when I had, um, when my play was being produced, they, they kept asking me about, you know, how is this doing? How is this sound? You know? And I'm like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, do your thing. <laughs> yeah, I think Crichton had that same theory that, especially with the Jurassic Park stuff, whenever he's like, I wrote the book and I've done my part. It, whatever Spielberg wants yeah. to do with it, Spielberg's going to do with it. Yeah, only if they were like, you know, we'd like to take out this character and replace it with a breakdancing robot. <laughs> then I'd be like, well, is he, you know, clever? Does he, he breakdance really well? About him? <laughs> what kind of so breakdancing I mean, is he going to be doing? Yeah, I mean, is, are we talking about, like, cardboard box on the floor, uh, you know? <laughs> For the most part, I, you know, when it comes to adapting something or just starting an audiobook, um, I'm like, she she has the text. She has the characters mm -hmm. at her fingertips. So however she decides they should be played, that's how they're going to be played. That's one of the things that I think that's... And Nelson, when I talked about this when he was here, I, I read a little passage of his book, and he's like, wow, did I write that? That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's neat to hear somebody else read your work, because you're like, wow, I, just, I like that. That's not bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think when you're reading yourself, you're so caught up in, am I saying this right? Am I reading this right? And that type of thing. Am yeah, I conveying absolutely. the character the way that they are in my mind? So it's neat to hear somebody else do it. Mm -hmm. I, I find when I have to do readings for my work, I tend not to practice it. Um, because I feel like when I start doing dialogue, I, you know, I remember, I remember <laughs> how it was when I was writing it, when I was those characters. So I just trust that it's all going to come. The feelings are going to come back and they usually do. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's something to be said for that too, to have it be a little bit more off the cuff. So it sounds a little bit more natural and doesn't mm -hmm. sound like it's contrived or anything like that. Mm hmm. 
So why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll continue and talk a little bit more about uh, what it's like to be a full-time writer and maybe some of your advice for aspiring writers. And then uh, I know that we had planned to have you read a little passage from your newest book. Welcome back to the Night Story Podcast. My guest today, Jessica McHugh. Find Jessica at www.jessicamchughbooks.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, you can find her on Amazon.com. She's got an Amazon page out there. And you can also get her on Twitter at, at the Jess McHugh. I did have a question for you. Are you have any appearances or any touring that's coming up? Um, yeah, I'm going to um, Horror Realm. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to um, Imaginarium in Kentucky in September, I think. September. Yeah, which I'm really nervous because I've never driven more than like five hours by myself. Oh, really? <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely uh, nervous about how driving like nine hours is going to uh, happen. <laughs> well, you just get yourself a good audio book. That's what I'm thinking. Or you download a bunch of episodes of the Ninth Story podcast and you just there listen you to those. I tend to listen to a lot of like Broadway yeah. and sing along to Broadway. That seems to pass the time. But I mean, even I'm sure after eight hours, my voice will annoy even me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you do a little bit of singing. You have some pipes there. Yeah, I, I, I got some little pipes. You did a <laughs> um, uh, some some horror... Um, Christmas carols. Yes. <laughs> those are interesting. I'm actually recording uh, three of those tomorrow for uh, a friend of mine is going to be making music videos. Oh, yeah? Or we're going to be making them together. Are you going to have a breakdancing robot in them? I certainly hope so. <laughs> All I know is I, I'm going to be wearing a little sexy Santa outfit and wow. there's going to be a bloody Christmas tree. <laughs> that sounds delightful. So, and then, oh my gosh. It's something for everybody. For those that don't like sexy women in, in, in Santa outfits, there's a bloody Christmas tree. What more could you want? Yeah. <laughs> and I know there's supposed to be a girl, because one of the lyrics is um, uh, something about a Christmas tree decorated with uh, limbs from Tiffany. And so there's going to be a girl named Tiffany, like, draped <laughs> on the tree. <laughs> That's terrific. <laughs> That's, that's, so, you know, that's getting into the spirit of the season, right? Right. <laughs> Is so, that going to be like released for next year or? Yeah, I think we're just going to work on it all year and hopefully he'll, uh, there'll be a released uh, t- Christmas 2014. That's cool. So we'll see. <laughs> so is that one of your hobbies then? I mean, now that you're a full-time writer, I guess writing was your hobby when you were doing science and, and now you are a writer. So, so what are your hobbies now? Oh gosh. I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That was a kind of a hobby before. That's right. Um, I yeah, I mean it's it's crazy this year all the kind of uh, branching out and collaborating stuff I'm I'm trying to do. Um, probably a little bit 
too much. But really, my being a, a full-time writer, I definitely have things that I need to get out for money and things that are on deadlines. So that feels like the work. Right. Um, then I'll you know, write little short stories here and there. I'm doing the, a, sto- a story a week. Yes. So I'm writing a story every week. So that feels like the play. I'm managing to keep up with you there so far. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll do my work and then I'll take a break for my break. I will write. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> something different. Terrible and obsessive, but yeah. I just love to write so much. It's, it's fun for me to play all these different characters and play in different worlds, create, just completely new bizarre things so yeah. i do it for fun and for work well there you go nothing wrong with that um last week on uh, or not last week because i don't know when this is coming out let's just say last <laughs> episode of the ninth story we talked about writers and the jobs that they had prior to getting into writing so you mentioned you did science what exactly did you do um i was what was my title <laughs> um what was it I actually have already banished it from my mind. Well, <laughs> I worked in I worked in molecular diagnostics at a local place. I was basically in the lab. Mm-hmm. I just formulated uh, buffers for use in science kits and resuspended DNA primers and stuff like that. Wow. I did not go to school for it. I I did not finish college, so I went and I was working at a cabinet store. Uh-huh. And an, another girl who worked at the store also worked the lab and she's like it's too bad you don't like science because there's an opening and I'm like I love science <laughs> I I've always loved science yeah. so I went and I interviewed and um, they gave me a job as a temp I you know six months later they hired me on full time and I worked there for five and a half years that's cool feeling like the coolest person in the world for making science every day yeah <laughs> How'd that interview go? I was like, well, what what have you done before? Well, I worked in a cabinet shop. Oh, well, we have got the job for you. You're going to be over here resequencing DNA. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, I I used my um, experience, although I didn't have any professional experience at that time, but the fact that I was a writer to get that job because I used it as uh, saying that I had attention to detail Mm -hmm. and that I can do the same thing over and over again and... um, pay attention to the little things and so my ability to write and edit over and over and over again mm-hmm. I think really sold them yeah. and once I was tired on his attempt and proved that I could yeah. make science happen um, <laughs> and then they were just like okay I'm also an excellent liar yeah well yeah <laughs> but I mean it was also cheaper for them to hire somebody that didn't have a degree right? rather than you know pay somebody who actually deserves to have a science job (laughs) (laughs) but it was fun it was really cool i um i mean i felt like i was doing something you know for the first time because i had worked all kinds of serving jobs and basically was a server and really hated it and uh so i felt like i was doing something why (laughs) i would seriously write stories on my on my little notepad when i was supposed to be writing down orders i just talk up to and be like what do you want (laughs) i wouldn't even say my name hi my name is jessica welcome to insert restaurant here (laughs) can i start you off with some our bang bang chili cheese fry (laughs) you know and then it just ended up with what can i get you (laughs) and i was just writing stories on my little little notepad and i would bring them home and copy them over and yeah but i mean i really did like uh 
the, the science job, then it really, it went downhill. You know, when a place gets new management and stuff like that, it, oh man, there was a girl there that hated me. Man, did she hate the ever-loving crap out of me. Wow. She, she What'd you was, do? I don't, I think she just, uh, there must have been a chemical thing. <laughs> I don't know. She's like, she, you know what? I need someone to hate you. From the very first day, she she was always trying to get me in trouble. She was always claiming I was writing when I wasn't. I mean, I did sneak some writing sessions, I'll yeah. be honest. But a lot of times when she told on me, I wasn't even doing anything wrong. <laughs> she reported me to HR like three times wow. for writing. And I was like, I'd show up and I'm like, you know, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was like your was arch nemesis. Crazy. It got so bad. I have a friend who's a, who's a medium, and she's like, just write her name on a piece of paper and, and put it in your freezer. And I was like, oh, I'm willing to try anything at this point. In your freezer? And actually, for a few months, she got better. Wow. <laughs> See, I would have thought light it on fire, but yeah. uh, kill it with fire. Freeze her in her evilness. <laughs> mm. Man, she, she just did not like me. Nope. Yeah, I think we've all had that person that we work with where it's just, for some reason which is unknown to anybody. We just can't get along with that person. I mean, I try, to, I try to get along with everybody, but sometimes people are just like, I just do not want to get along with you. Yeah, I have a couple of people like that where it's like, I can't pinpoint what I don't like about you, <laughs> but there's something. <laughs> but yeah, she really didn't like, um, you know, my husband and I were not married at the time, I think, or engaged when we when I started working there and he would send me like little love notes every day. Mm. And she would just be like, Jessica got another love note. Jealous like, much? Oh, <laughs> look out. <laughs> I'm going to go home and eat some hagen dies and pet my cat. And yeah. Simmons <laughs> again. Yeah. She was not a fan of me at all. <laughs> I can't understand that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so genteel. Exactly. <laughs> you're a lady. You're a lady's lady. I don't know. Is that actually a phrase? There's the man's man, which I always thought was kind of weird personally, but. <laughs> man's man. Man's um, man, ladies I'm man. Nobody's man. <laughs> ladies man, man's man, ladies lady. <laughs> ladies that, lady. That probably means something else. You don't hear that very often. No. She's but, a ladies lady. Yeah. See, and, and ladies can go to the bathroom together and ladies yeah. can dance together well, and I nobody thinks there's anything weird about that. I never. I always thought it was kind of weird. Did you really? Because yeah. I know Actually, if I like twenty first birthday, like three girls ran into the bathroom with me. I'm like, <laughs> are we doing this? Is this happening? <laughs> I have to pee in front of you. <laughs> what are you going to check and make sure I did it right? Yeah, I was like, okay, I guess this is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's, you never see two guys like, hey, let's go to the John Bob. There, there, there's a fun, there's a fun pre-writer job when I worked as a stripper. Really? Yeah. Oh, tell reading. us more, please. We're, we're very intrigued now. Or you could just read my novel, Pins. Ah, is that like 100% autobiographical? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. No? <laughs> no, no. It's, um, I, I mean, there are, there are definitely things that happen in that book that happen to me, you know, exaggerated by 10. Yeah. You know, and, and. It's it's also a murder a horror novel, so definitely I did not experience any murder <laughs> working. Well, thank God except, for that. Except maybe like the murder on the dance floor, where it was you know really bad dancers. But I also <laughs> didn't work in a strip club slash bowling alley, so I wish I had. <laughs> uh, hey, I got a pin here for you. Yeah. 
<laughs> what can you do with this? <laughs> uh, hit you over the head with it. That's what I can do with it. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, there was another, there's another writer that, uh, authoress that was formerly a stripper and her name is escaping me now. Um, it's a pretty fun job. Is it really? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun if you're, like, you know, 19. Yeah. Yeah, like if you're, to like, you know, 31, then ew, maybe seek other employment. Hi, I'm 55. Uh, not, I want to be a stripper. Yeah, not that there are, there are bad-looking 31-year-olds. I hope not, because I'm 31. <laughs> but there's just those career strippers, man. Yeah. They are scary. They are <laughs> scary. Hardcore. You know, In every so. sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. But, and, uh, you know, people that are... You know, moms kind of are, are a little. Mm, there was a girl that used to squeeze milk out of her boot. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I'd rather read about somebody murdering somebody with a chainsaw than that. Mm-hmm. And there was a there was a girl with like a giant cesarean scar. Ugh. Not that there's anything wrong with having cesarean scars, right. but there's something a little strange about your stripper having one, and she's like rubbing it all over. Uh, it's just like. Hey, you know what? I come down here for the stripper with the with the scar. I like to. I like it. the scar. I like to. T- can I touch your scar? <laughs> Gary Busey's a big fan of pussy, but an even bigger fan of the scar right there. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. It's just turned into like a crash situation where people <laughs> when I make love to the scar. <laughs> <laughs> was that in your was that in your erotic thriller scene? Because that's one you might have missed. Ah, uh, I feel like there is a part where someone has. An open wound. Yes, there is. Oh no. <laughs> well, as long as there's not milk from the nipples at that point, then I think we'll be okay. I don't think I had. Nope, that's only in pits. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a bad combination. Uh, can I have a little milk while I'm making love to your scar? <laughs> it's nice because I can I can make love job. to you and have a beverage at the same time. You get dehydrated. That's right. Making sweet sweet love to scars. <laughs> <laughs> it's um and the, the the lady I'm thinking of they actually made a movie about it, it's um I want to say her name is Dakota something but I don't think that's right. Oh yeah. Oh god, what is her name? Uh Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody, that's it. I, I kind of yeah, blended those writer. together. So yeah, Diablo Cody was a stripper as well. Yeah, she was probably a little bit more high class than I was over in West Virginia. I feel like she must she she was a higher class club. <laughs> So you you were where? In- I was in the first club I worked in was Ridgely, West Virginia. Okay, and that's where Pins is set. Okay, I believe, and um, the other one was in Martinsburg, West Virginia. So it was two for a total of seven months. <laughs> yeah, the second one was a little bit more high class than the first one, but the second one had a lot more drugs. Wow, <laughs> so- <laughs> there's always a trade off, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, at least I get to say I once saw my friend snort coke off of a stripper's ass. Hey. Cause that's and a, a lot of people don't get to say that. Yeah. I once uh, sniffed cocaine off a stripper's ass. <laughs> I, I, you know, I bet Gary Busey actually did do that at some point in his career. Oh, gosh, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Gene Simmons did sure as well. I'm sure he's doing it right now. Probably. Well, no, he found Jesus after his, uh, after his car accident. Oh, so he's sniffing coke off Jesus' ass. That is probably the purest cocaine ass cocaine you can find. <laughs> probably. Jesus has the the best shit, they say. <laughs> I think I just lost half the audience. Yeah. <laughs> 
so your book that came out this year, The Maiden Voyage. Maiden Voyage is definitely more uh, alternate history. Yeah. Although the reviews I've gotten on it, people have mentioned that you can kind of sense my horror roots uh-huh. in in the book, which I, you know, I, t- I definitely didn't do on purpose. Uh, apparently it just comes through. When you read something, what tells you that it's horror if you're reading somebody else's story? Um, if, it, if, if I start reading it at night and I can tell right away when it's horror if I'm reading it at night because I, I can't read horror at night at all. <laughs> at all. I used to be able to, uh-huh. but I just can't. I am the biggest pussy in the entire <laughs> world. I really am. I can't watch horror movies anymore. I have the most wicked waking nightmares. Really? Yeah, like I, I, I see the the scary parts of the movie like in my bedroom, mm. and yeah, I'm not a fan. That's why I haven't. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading uh, this story by uh, Max Booth in the uh, first issue of Jamis Vu, mm-hmm. which was just released, and because everyone has just been raving about it, but they also say it's really hard to read just because of the um, the content. And I, I've just been putting it off and putting it off. I need to sit in an open window with the sun shining in and little blue birds chirping, happy working songs today. <laughs> well, see, that's when horror is the most disturbing. I'm probably ruining that for you now. Uh, because whenever, oh, no. <laughs> there, whenever there's a setting in a horror movie or in a, in a horror novel and it's taking place in broad daylight in the middle of a park with the birds chirping and the kids playing, that's true. it's the creepiest thing. You know, it's the middle of the daytime. It's kind of like when you think you're safe. And I think that's what makes it the scariest thing is we drop our guard during the daytime. Absolutely. Actually, it kind of reminds me of the the zoo scene from American Psycho. Oh, yeah. The little kid is, yeah, has his like throat opened or something. And Patrick Bateman runs up and, you know, in the middle of the day, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Let me just widen up this hole and so your son <laughs> bleeds out in front of you. <laughs> I'm a swell guy. That's right. I'm a Love good guy. guy. I like to help. Whatever I can do to help you out. <laughs> He's very helpful. <laughs> so one last question I have for you. Um, what do you think is the difference between writing a novel and writing a short story? Because personally, I always find writing short stories to be more difficult than writing uh, yeah, a novel. I agree. Um, uh, yeah, short stories are definitely tougher for me because, um, I mean, even the story I was writing this week, I decided to you know, write a different story for story week because it would be shorter and continue the story I had started next week because I tend to get so detailed with right like creating an entire world and this is the way you know, the world is like this because of this event that happened back then and this is all the details about the event. So I tend to use a lot of pages on exposition that shouldn't be there in a short story. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I sometimes have trouble paring it down. And I think that's exactly the same thing that I see. It, it's very condensed. I mean, like poetry, I, I can't even think about writing poetry because it's just so condensed. Mm-hmm. I mean, every word is, is so important. Whereas in a novel, I guess you get to be a little more verbose. You get to build a bigger world. You get to be a lot more detailed. And uh, in, in a lot of cases, if you do it right, some of your chapters themselves are self-contained. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're all part of the, the bigger arc. But with the short story, it's you have a beginning, you have a, a definite end, and you have to get there in so few words. It just seems mm-hmm. like it's more difficult sometimes. It's, it's definitely, it's tough. I, I, I think I've been getting better at it, but I, I think my short stories, I mean, it's all in editing and just taking out and, 
you know, removing entire sections that you can describe in one sentence. I mean, like they say, you know, writing is rewriting and what really needs to be to be there and what really is just a turn of phrase that I like. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I tend to when I when I have a line that I really love and I'm like, like, oh, it just doesn't belong. I will take it out and put it somewhere else. One of my favorite um, terrible lines was in my novel Maladrid and it was something he was on the ground breathing heavily against the grass and it said something it was something like he lays in the grass with heavy pants <laughs> is that like, like is that like is he panting or is his or his pants actually he heavy he's panting but oh i see <laughs> So for your your new novel, um, what did you have picked out that you wanted to to share today? Um, I think I'm going to be reading a scene um, where the, uh, I guess the protagonist, we would call him. Yes. Is, uh, um, it's, it's actually a, a, a different version of London where that is powered by pollen and um, honey and is kind of just run by this this place called the Royal Honey uh, Corporation, Royal Honey Inc. And uh, so the main character is what humans call a werebee, half man, half bee, but he's actually an apisthrope would be the proper name. Wow. That's... Or an anthodrone. Wow. Um, because that's some, that's male some science-y bees, words. In this world... The drones, after they emerge from the hive, they have a choice. They can either uh, mate with the queen, or they can <laughs> yeah, they can mate with the queen, uh, the queen of the bees, not not Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello! Come in and mate. <laughs> Lovely. And they can mate with the queen, which in this case is a woman named Barbara Holloway, uh, or they can kill for her. They can become assassins. So oh, yeah. that sounds great. I know so, what I'd choose. <laughs> so drones have very, very short lives, just naturally. Mm-hmm. And if um, and it, this is true of of bees and uh, drones in in real life, that mm-hmm. after they mate with a queen, she kills them. Yes. So they, she actually rips their genitals off in the mating process. Yes. So that if you read delightful. the story, you might have that. This is a scene where he he actually um, Sigmund Black, the protagonist, meets Barbara Holloway for the first time. Okay. And I'm not doing the British accent because I did it once, and my husband said it sounded like I should work on the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> no disintegrations because, this time. I was reading from the sky, the world, and the phrase is postmortem identification crystals, and I said something like postmortem identification crystals. <laughs> Take <laughs> the like, ship a box. I w- <laughs> That's awesome. Like Grand Moff Tarkin there. Right. So I'm not going to even attempt a British accent okay. here. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> okay. So this is from <clears throat> the Maiden Voyage. Okay. The lift moves sideways, an orchestra of clicks and hums playing him closer to the queen. When the contraption paused, the steam cranked the gears in reverse and lifted the elevator to the top floor. At the full stop, the door opened into a hallway that churned with life. 
Golden oil flowed through the mechanisms within the walls, making panels flip and switch like an animated puzzle with no solution. Sigmund stood boggled as the walls gleamed through their work, and he would have remained so if a wafting scent hadn't struck him like a hammer. It was sweeter than normal pollen, and it spoke to him on a genetic level, a whisperer that knew the secrets of his life before he could make them. It was the smell of a queen. Sigmund followed the aroma, entranced. Filling his nostrils, the scent dizzied his wits until they were lost in the fog. Before he knew what had happened, he was kneeling in a luxurious octagonal office, his face cradled in a milky hand. Barbara Holloway's shining raven hair melted over her shoulders and down her back in elegant waves. Her compound eyes glittered in vibrant greens and purples as her fingers caressed Sigmund's face, coaxing him to stand. Barbara was nearly three feet taller than him, and her wings were more complex than any he'd seen before. But as his eyes rolled over her compelling frame, he noticed something strange through her gown, something moving. Do you like them? Barbara asked, fluttering her wings. I've just had them done. Done? Extended and reinforced. The material will never deteriorate, and that's just one of the perks. I plan on having the rest done one day. Longevity is something I value above all things. Except pollen, of course. She hovered across the room, her toes dragging lightly across the carpet. When she pressed a button on the wall, a tray of glittering bottles emerged. She poured herself a glass of honey wine she downed like water. Exhaling in satisfaction, her wings shimmered and her body vibrated. Your Highness, what do you want from me? She flew to him, inspecting his physique before taking his hand in hers. She traced his palm with delicate, dancing fingers. How many stingers do you have left? She asked. Eight. I prefer my pistol. Did it hurt to have the stingers implanted? I've always wondered. Only for a moment. She narrowed her eyes, smiling. Don't lie to me. Yes, it hurt. A lot. But I'd make the same choice every time, no matter the pain. I see. Mr. Black, you've been out of the hive for two days and killed five men who stole pollen from your queen. You seem a good man to have around. For how long? He asked. A week should do it. Then you may live out the rest of your days as you choose. At our journey's end, you may return to London, or you may stay in America. America? Sigmund couldn't control his wings from quivering and exhilaration. My newest creation begins its maiden voyage tomorrow at eleven, and I would like you to serve as my bodyguard. Together we shall sail upon the first pollen-powered passenger liner in the world, from London to New York. With her grin, Sigmund could have sworn he heard a mechanical hum in her throat. A pollen-powered ship, but the shortage. Yes, that, she huffed. It's a problem now, yes, but not for long. You see, I've made a deal that will put an end to that little problem. I put it off for a number of years, but it appears I have no choice now. If I'm to keep pollen pure and profitable, I must expand royal honey beyond Europe. To do that, I have agreed to wed David Ross, an American industrialist who has promised to save my company. To save us all, really. America's pollen and oxygen aren't as depleted as they are here. With Mr. Ross's help, I can add America to my regime while fixing our oxygen issues. Is Ross one of us? No, just a man. Does he know you're an apisthrope? I have my methods of concealment. I doubt lenses and hairpins will hide you from a husband, Sigmund said. 
What would you know about it? How many times have you been with a woman? She asked. Only once, your highness. So you know nothing of marital intimacy or my cunning. Who are you to cast aspersions about my ability to fool one stupid human? Nobody, your highness. When he lowered his head, she smiled in triumph. With a finger beneath his chin, she lifted his eyes to meet hers. But you can be somebody, Mr. Black. You have a rare opportunity before you. If you keep me safe, you will have a good life. Sigmund fell to her feet, his head bowed. My queen, I vow to keep you safe for as long as you wish. If it means a longer, better life for this unworthy anthrodrone, I will do anything you ask of me. She ran her hands over his antenna, an electric desire charged through his body. Despite knowing the painful finale to coupling with a queen, his mind steamed with sexual scenarios. There he tore Barbara's dress to ribbons, his tongue curling over every royal curve and learning what it took to satisfy such a woman. They made love on the floor before their wings lifted them in ecstasy, her honey glow letting him know he was the only man who'd made her want to spare a lover. His reverie ended when she chirped, Excellent, and turned on her heel. You're dismissed until tomorrow, Southampton, 11 o'clock sharp at the ship. Wait, which ship? Barbara Holloway looked over her shoulder, her eyes glittering through her diaphanous wings as she said, The RMS Titanic. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> Fantastic. So what else would we like to talk about today? Well, I have three novels coming out this year. Awesome. Pack. Two of them are part of that, the series, the mm-hmm. Darla Decker Diaries. So that's young. That is the first time I am trying to write young adult where I actually was like, <laughs> this is going to be a young adult story. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a lot of fun because she, she starts the series at 11 years old and uh, in sixth grade. So mm-hmm. I'm taking her all the way to high school graduation. And so it's, it's very interesting growing up with her in a weird way. Yeah. It was only supposed to be seven books, but the second book turned into an entire summer camp book. Oh, okay. So I had to add in, and who knows, I might write more summer camp books and there could turn out being like a 15 book series. <laughs> Freaking hope not, but. <laughs> the story goes where the story goes, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. It, I'm definitely following her lead. There are definitely things I want to hit throughout the series. And I've pretty much named all the books just to give me a sort of theme for each one. All the titles have a similar sound to them. It's first one is Darla Decker hates to wait. Second one is Darla Decker takes the cake. Darla Decker shakes the state. So, I mean, they all kind of have the same uh, sound to them. So there was one. I thought if I wrote a college one, it would be called like Darla Decker half baked. (laughs) Darla Decker, you know, half awake. (laughs) Darla Decker is late. That's funny. So luckily it's it's not it's been more fun than stressful. Yeah. Thankfully. But I mean what's cool about this series is I mean it's very normal but it's also very frank. Um uh-huh. the first book has finger bang in it. Um hey now. It's, the second book she she sees boobies um in a in a hard on. So wow. I mean <laughs> it's like Hopefully not on the same person. No, no. <laughs> Those would be the later novels. Those are the later novels. <laughs> Up all night. Darla Decker gets freaky. <laughs> but uh, 
I'm taking my own experiences definitely at, at what age would I have learned this word at what age would I have seen this right thing um you know like I said I grew up with two older brothers so I definitely heard a lot of cursing mm-hmm. and uh and learned about a lot of things uh from <laughs> them just by you know overhearing them because I was always I was that little you know I wanted to hang out with them all the time because I thought they were like the coolest right. thing in the world and they just hated me <laughs> I'm middle brother man did he torture me <laughs> It was bad, man. Wow. He was evil. <laughs> yeah, it's giving you very... good material for the book, though, right? Absolutely. There absolutely. I gave her one older brother. And um, I mean, he's not based off of my middle brother, but uh, there's a lot of animosity there <laughs> in that relationship. <laughs> but also very good. Um, you know, they have their they have their sweet moments. Yeah. Well, that's good. You got to have the balance there. And I, I, that's that's neat that you've done that. I think, you know, as they get older, like the fights will, you know, taper off. And, you know, I think it's just mostly, well, he's, you know, and she are going into ninth grade and she's going into seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'm sure when they hit and when they're both in high school together, it'll be just as bad as when I was <laughs> in high school with my middle <laughs> Sins of the father, or in this case, sins of the brother. Yeah, man, he was rough. <laughs> <laughs> What do you? What was the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten about writing from somebody? Oh man, I th- well, Peter S. Beagle told me that when you're writing at home and drinking beer, the beer doesn't have calories. <laughs> <laughs> That's that good to know. That's good to yeah. know. And from Peter S. Beagle, no less. But <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I mean, it's crazy uh, because. I wrote for, for many, many years without trying to get published at all um, until I was about, until I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, from 19 to 25, I just wrote and wrote and wrote, didn't even think about getting published. Yeah. Um, but when I, when I actually had my first book published and kind of was thrown into this world, I didn't really have much to go on. I didn't have any writer friends, mm-hmm. not even online at that point. Um, so I kind of w- just went in blind. I just, you know, became friends with them. I'd already kind of learned my process. Yeah. So, and uh, was already trying to work my way through. And that's why I, you know, when people ask me for a- advice, um, I, I think I feel like a lot of writers nowadays are a little lazy. They want you to give them a list of publishers and just be like, this is what you do. Yeah, it's like, like a checklist. Yeah. Here's what you do in order yeah. to be a writer. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, writing is not easy. It's also, if you, it's a lot of fun, but I mean, it's, it's in no way easy. Writing isn't easy. Editing isn't easy. Getting published, well, getting published is kind of easy, depending on self-publishing and, and whatnot. Right. But, you know, finding a good publisher isn't hugely easy. You know, selling stories for actual money is not easy. Yeah. Um, so I, I think a lot of people have kind of this fantasy about what it's going to be like and it's not like that at all um and one of the best things you can do if you want to be a serious writer and have that be your career is know right from the bat you're gonna have to work really fucking hard at it for the rest of your life it does not get any easier you know i assume (laughs) but it's if for anything it gets harder because you you know you really want to fight to keep people reading and keep your work fresh and interesting and not fall into a rut. Yeah. So 
make sure you do keep reading other works yeah um because you will find yourself inspired yep to create new characters and new worlds but yeah people going into writing thinking it's going to be all you know puppy dogs and lollipop <laughs> tampons are just <laughs> totally <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's just not, it, it's it's not easy at all. But if you really are passionate about it, mm-hmm. it still should be fun. Right, exactly. The, the, the fun is the process, not the, you know, cashing. I'm sure that's fun to cash a big check, but I mean, no, yeah. I don't think that's what, if you want to be a writer, I don't think that's what you do it for. I think you do it because it's something you love. And mm-hmm. hopefully in time, the rewards come for Absolutely. being good yeah. at your craft. But I um, mean, if you want to make a career as a writer, you're you're going to need to make money. But right. I mean, it takes a while to get there. Yeah. Take, it does take a while to get there. And, you know, if, if I didn't have my husband providing a paycheck, I wouldn't be there yeah. at this point. So I, I think a lot of people just go in with the fantasy and it can be a fantasy. It yeah. can be a roller coaster ride, man. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> well, congratulations on all the success, first. and congratulations on being able to now write full time. Oh, um, thank I'm, you. I'm sure that comes with its own its own challenges. It's. I feel like I have no time now to write. Yeah, it's That's, crazy, and I don't even have kids or anything. It, it's because I have so many more projects. I think. Yeah. So I really do need to break my day down into. I have to work on this now. Now I have to work on this. Now I have to work on this. That's the tough part because there's nobody else there to manage your time and tell you, hey, you need to do this now. Um, And and that's why I prefer, you know, handwriting everything because if I'm away from the computer, I'm not jumping on Facebook every five minutes. Right. Exactly. So there's all those distractions out there. I know. See, I took a year, year and a half and I I worked as a copywriter. My dream was that during this time, I'm going to be able to write short stories. I'm going to be able to work on my novel. I'm going to get all this stuff done and I'm going to do this to pay the bills. And I, what I did was I traded a full-time job where I had no time to write for another full-time job where I had no time to write anything except for the stuff that, you know, was getting published in newspaper articles and magazines and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. So the creative aspect of it that was at the core of that passion was mm-hmm. never satisfied. I mean, I was designing websites and writing ad copy and doing all this other stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that with um, the Darla Decker novels right now, but I, I know that that's going to pass. Right. It's just because I, I did kind of write myself into a corner where I gave myself a very short amount of time to write these books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's my fault. Now, do you find that you do you find that you edit while you're while you're typing? Does that help you make your changes and realize what's working and what doesn't work? I will sometimes, but not usually. I'm just trying to get it on there. Right. And then I'll uh, print it off and edit it by hand in a a binder. You know, misspellings, I'll try to correct them right away. Mm -hmm. But other than like sentence structure, I just try to get it down because I know once I get a pen in hand, I'm going to be able to fix it much easier. Right. Yeah. But then I have to type all that stuff in the computer. So it's a never-ending process, and it's right. evil. Well, I guess I should let you get back to writing, which is what you're supposed to be doing, right? <laughs> yep. So Editing I, fun. Yeah, but I do appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down with me, and I'll uh, try to get this out as quickly as I can. And yeah, I'll absolutely. Thank prob- you for having me again. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure. It's Hopefully, we can have you back again. Yeah, absolutely. I had fun. Me too. Excellent. <laughs> You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a hicks and fabulous production.
I broke it.